You're listening to the On The Rise podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs as we make our way to the top. Here is your host, known as the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's John Lee here, also known as The Property Shark. And welcome back to another episode of the On The Rise podcast. Today, joining us all the way from Santa Monica, we have Bob Wheeler. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Bob. Thanks a lot for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, Bob, for our listeners that don't know about you, could you give us uh, a brief but thorough introduction about yourself? Okay. I should only take about 45 minutes. So um, <laughs> not a problem. Um, I'm a CPA. Um, I'm founder of Wheeler B CPA. Um, we do entertainment accounting and uh, um, I grew that from a small business to a big business. Um, I am the CFO of the world famous comedy store in Hollywood and I've been with them for 22 years. Uh, I'm also the author of the book, The Money Nerve and creator of The Money Nerve Concept and uh, also an online course called Mastering the Emotions of Money. And basically in my accounting practice, I discovered that people were doing exactly the opposite of what I consider to be good sound advice. And they often turned into therapy sessions. And so I started to really see the relationship between money and emotions. And that's how I got my uh, entry into sort of the therapeutic background of bringing psychology and money together. so sort of bring that all together in my tax practice and in everything that I do. And I teach workshops and uh, work with people around their money blocks and money beliefs. Wow, that's really cool. I love to get into all of that. Um, but, you know, before we start, I am curious to, to, to see how you even got started in accounting um, and why that was, I guess, a, a passion of yours from, from the get-go. So yeah, interestingly enough, accounting was not my passion from the get-go. It's funny, actually, my business partner and I both were on track to be lawyers. Um, And so I was taking all the law courses and I was just taking accounting to keep my grade point up because it was an easy A. And so what happened was at the end of it, I met a bunch of attorneys and thought, I don't really want to go to law school. And Accounting's been pretty easy, so let's just do that. And I didn't even really want to have an accounting tax practice. I thought if I do accounting for a little bit, I'll learn about other businesses and I'll just start my own business. And then I started an accounting firm. So (laughs) there you go. Interesting. So you wanted to go into law um, and then it was actually an an easy, like a GPA booster per se for you to do accounting. Yeah. Um. I guess you technically did start a business, but right, just exactly. <laughs> not just it wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't selling widgets. I'm selling tax returns. <laughs> right, right, right. And w- was there a particular reason that you decided to, to pursue and start your own accounting firm rather than being an accountant? Um, did you want to make a certain change in the industry that you were kind of seeing or you wanted to bring a better service or help people out better than, than what was given already? Well, you know, for me, I, I had the opportunity to work in a couple of big companies as their controller or as their CFO. 
And I, but I realized there was like limitations. Like I didn't, I couldn't go and be in charge of my own destiny as much. And there was something about being on my own and in charge of everything of like, even if I didn't make a million dollars, I had the potential to make a million dollars. And it just was more appealing. And I, I really wanted to go into public accounting because I think there's an opportunity to be of service. And for me in accounting, it's been about relationships. So my business is relationships, not just let me do your tax return, pay me some money and get out. And so I've had a lot of clients that have been with me a long time. Uh, I've built my practice from, you know, a couple hundred clients to probably about 1200 clients today, um, all through referral. And that's just people saying, Hey, we had a good experience with Bob and his, and his team. You should check them out. And so it's, you know, for me, it's been a really cool journey in the first few years, every year I thought nobody would show up. I, I would be like, Oh my God, nobody's going to show up this year. And, and then, Oh, they showed up and I got some more. And then next year, nobody's going to show up. Oh, everybody showed up and more. So I finally started just trusting that, yeah, I actually had something to offer. That's beautiful. Um, one thing that really stood out was relationship building. Uh, do you have any advice on how you approach building relationships? Like, is there a kind of like a blueprint that you've kind of discovered and followed that has kind of led to your overwhelmingly success of, you know, referral business, because that's obviously the, the biggest compliment, you know, anyone could ever get um, is the trust of your clients as friends and family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, relationship yeah. building. Yeah. I think for me, uh, one of the big things that I get as feedback is that I'm actually uh, pretty authentic and I'm not trying to present a certain way. So sometimes clients will say to me, Oh, I bet you're so, uh, you know, in judgment of me. And I bet you're really embarrassed by the mistakes I made. And I, I usually say to them, listen, I'm not here because I did everything perfectly. I'm here because I made a lot of mistakes too. And so I actually can come from a place of understanding instead of a place of superiority. And so what I really do is try and create a place for people to feel safe to like share all the information because I can't help them if I don't know all the information. And I, I really, for me, I'm not trying to show everybody that I'm perfect, that I did it perfect. I know all the ins and outs. I tell people, yeah, I don't know about that, but I can find out. And so I think for me, the lesson has always been to just be authentic and be myself and not try to fake being something else. And I'm much more comfortable being myself than trying to pretend to be somebody else. Mm. I love that. Just being truthful and honest and not being afraid to admit that you don't know anything. I feel like um, for a lot of people, they, in different professions, they always have to have kind of a mask on as being the expert um, versus, you know, letting everyone know that, Hey, it's okay to, to not know everything. And I guess by you opening up, um, you actually build better rapport with the clients to allow them to tap into, you know, their own financial situation. And maybe, um, again, getting into more of the therapy, therapy side of, you know, other parts of their life that are affecting their decision-making, not only with finances, but, you know, everything else, the well-being, health, emotionally, um, behaviors and things like that. So, um, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, now, how did you go from being, I guess, starting your accounting from growing it 
um, through referral um, to becoming a CFO of the world famous comedy club. Well, so what happened was, uh, besides having a passion for accounting, <laughs> um, I actually was doing uh, some stand-up and some sketch comedy on the side. Just um, it was something I was interested in, but I knew it wasn't probably going to pay the bills. And but I I did have that creative energy that I wanted to tap into, and what happened was, you know, I realized that if you're going to do comedy, you're probably not going to get discovered in the back of an accounting office or even in my own office uh, when I had my own business. And so I was doing stand-up comedy and I was doing stand-up comedy and running a show at the comedy store. And one of my friends um, who was just recently on America's Got Talent and got a whole bunch of gigs from that. Um, she said to Mitzi, because Mitzi was having some issues with the comedy store. Mitzi was the owner. And, and Vicky said, hey, Bob Wheeler's a CPA. You should give him a call and see if you can help him out. He, he can help you out. And so basically, I was more interested in making sure that stage time was available to all my friends and to me. Um, <laughs> less about like, oh, I'm the CFO at the comedy store or, oh, I'm the guy at the comedy store. It was more about, I just want to make sure we all had stage time. And, you know, and Mitzi and I hit it off and I, you know, was fortunate enough to have a personal relationship with her and I traveled with her and uh, you know, the comedy store is just the home of, you know, Richard Pryor and Roseanne Barr and David Letterman and Jay Leno and Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle and all these people. And so it was really, you know, so that's how I, I got to be at the comedy store as the CFO was, I was doing stand-up comedy. They asked me to come in and help and uh, a relationship was born. That's beautiful. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned that you've had a passion for accounting, but you didn't initially have a passion for accounting. So, yeah. you know, how do you define passion? And when did you realize that your passion for accounting was there? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think for a long time, I thought that um, you have to hate what you do to earn money and it has to be really hard so if it's easy or it's enjoyable well then that can't be work because work has to be painful and you got to have sacrifice and so i think initially when i went into it i initially went in because well you know this is pretty it's it's easy and it's a challenge and uh, because i really like working with people and I, I i really do like the relational part and my, 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 my professor uh, at, at college said that public accounting is 60% accounting and 40% public, meaning you got to get in relationship with your clients. And once I started realizing that that was the part that I really enjoyed, and then I also realized that I actually had a skill set that people could appreciate and that I was able to give it to them in understandable terms because some people like to talk very above everybody and use very big words and people are confused as heck. And so being able to just be on a same level, here's the basics. Uh, I really started to realize, look, I enjoy this. I love being able to help people. I like being able to see the results of strategic planning and like, look what we did. We planned all year and then we came, we, we hit our numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. And just having clients refer me and seeing the business grow because people seem to be really happy was very fulfilling for me to know that my the work I was doing was being received with appreciation. So it was your passion for helping people. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Wow. And then from there, I mean, you're running a big accounting firm, you know, you're the last line of defense. You're putting out all the fires that come up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. How do you have time to tap into your other side hustles or, or passion yeah. for, for stand-up comedy? Like, you know, when, again, when starting a business, like you assume, I guess for a lot of people that, you know, you got to grind 24 seven and hustle and work, 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 work. And then, you know, and then maybe you'll, you'll get to enjoy the fruits of your labor a couple years down the road. Yeah. Um, but for you to also tap into your other passions as well, I think that's really interesting. Well, you know, I think it's about time management and I think it's about, are we going to make the choices of the things we want to do? A lot of people say, Oh, I want to have this, or I want extra money, but I don't want to work extra hard. I don't want to get that, that degree. Right. For me, it's, I budget the time. Fridays are my day to, work on scripts, to work on all creative stuff that happens on Fridays. I do not do any accounting on that day. And then even when I was writing the book, I would take two hour lunches and I would just block the time and start writing. And I was working with another person who would uh, ask me all kinds of questions so I could articulate what I was trying to do. So I just said, you know what, for the next six months, two hours a day, three times a week, I'm working on my book. And I've just forced myself to I follow a schedule pretty religiously. So if it's on the calendar, I'm going to do it. And so that's for me was the important part was make the time and make the commitment. And I think a lot of people, they want to make the time and they want to make the commitment and then they just don't follow through. And I guess when they don't follow through, do you think it's because of their lack of commitment or believing fully in what they're getting themselves into and more so they're doing it because of social proof or because it's the right thing to do, you know, um, versus like what they really want to do. Yeah. I think it's a combination. I certainly think some people do things because mom and dad will be happy or it'll impress my friends and I'm not really into it. But I also think there's a lot of people that they really want to go for it, but they're afraid of the failure. They're afraid people might laugh at them. They're afraid that like, that's a silly idea. And, and so I, I, or like it happens for everybody else, but it doesn't happen for me. Like, I just don't think um, I'm the one that's going to make it happen. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of self-sabotage and a little bit of fear uh, about taking risk and, and, and how people are going to receive it. Like I, I know when I did stand up comedy, first started doing it, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell anybody. Um, because I wanted to be able to get to a place where I was funny and people would laugh and uh, I felt comfortable because I didn't feel my family would support it. Once I came out and said, oh, I'm doing comedy and I'm doing these shows and I've been doing this. Oh my God, that's amazing. Right. Then they were able to get behind it. But for me, sometimes I think it's important if you have a, you have a goal or something you really want to do, sometimes you keep it close to the vest until you're ready to share with people so that it can actually manifest in the way you want it to happen. Mm, That's actually a a really good point because I feel like when you share it too early on, um, you might be clouded by mixed opinions or mixed emotions that are externally, but they're affecting you and and the way you perceive your, your goal or you're reevaluating or having second thoughts or contemplating whether you should push through or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to trust yourself, but it's not always easy. 
And w- trusting yourself, how, how do you gain the trust of yourself when you're trying something new, when you know that your friends and family aren't necessarily going to support you, whether yep. that's starting a new venture or tapping into your hobbies? How do you do that? So I think the best thing to do, and I was fortunate because I feel like I had lots of little angels uh, around me, people just helping me. Um, You know, fortunately, I've cultivated good relationships. And so I had enough people around me that would say, don't listen to your family, don't listen to your friends, like follow your passion. So I found a couple of support people that weren't in my regular circle, uh, so that it was just separate. And I think most of us are afraid to ask for support or uh, ask for guidance. Uh, and, and you'd be amazed at how many people are willing to like be your wingman or wingwoman and, 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 and just give you honest feedback or like, yeah, you should go for it. Or maybe you should pull back a little bit. Um, there are, you know, we all, hopefully everybody out there knows one or two people that they trust that's not going to go blab everything to their friends and not blab everything to their family. And I just was fortunate. I had, I had people that were really willing to reflect back. And I was also willing to hear real criticism, like real feedback. I didn't want people just saying, yeah, Bob, you're amazing. Yes, Bob. No. Hey, Bob, this part was great. This wasn't so great. Here's where you might improve. Here's something to think about. So willing to receive feedback is also important to be able to say, you know what? I, I probably have a couple of adjustments to make. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really, really good point there. Um, and from, I guess, doing stand-up comedy on the side, mm-hmm. how did that impact your accounting business? And did you take away you know, certain skills um, that you applied to, to your accounting business or, or life in general? Just, just curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think everybody needs a sense of humor. Uh, like life is just too short to get so serious. And I think what comedy has helped me do is uh, get people to relax. I'm able to, you know, if I go speak somewhere, I can make a joke about myself and not feel uncomfortable. Uh, I can break the ice with people. And so humor is a great way to break awkward moments. It's also a way to get clients to be more vulnerable. And so a lot of times I could tell a funny story that's very similar to the client in front of me, but it's not the client. And as I'm telling this story, they'll say, that's me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, is it? Oh, I did. Oh yeah, I guess it is. Right. So I use it as a way to disarm and, 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 and not make it so serious. Like you're really bad. You made this choice, but Hey, here's some other people made this choice. And, and so for me, it's been a real great way to connect with people. Just to lighten up the mood again, disarm, um, I guess people's ceilings, you know, or, or I guess they have their guards up when, when you meet them and just uh, a way to ease into any conversation. Um, In terms of being more humorous, I mean, did you study the greats? Um, Did you look into kind of, humorous experiences in your daily life or past experiences and tap into those or how did you bring about humor um kind of on on the fly 
Yeah. So I think, you know, as a kid, I was always one of the funny kids, always the class clown. Um, you know, I wasn't a big kid. So, uh, I'm either going to get a beat up or I'm going to make them laugh. So uh, try and make them laugh before they decide they want to beat me up. And, uh, you know, so I just used that as a way through high school. I had a bit of a sar sarcastic bite and um, humor was just a way that I survived in my family. And so over time, you know, people would just say, wow, you're really funny. And so then I got into doing sketch comedy. And of course, you know, I had all my Robin Williams, um, this is an old one, Bob Newhart, who was a CPA, uh, who used to be just a very funny guy, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, George Carlin. Like there's so many people that, yeah, I've been a big fan of comedy. And um, so, but it was just sort of a combination of, I just have a, you know, my mind, you know, people go, oh my God, does that ever turn off? It doesn't. I'm constantly like, oh, what can I, how can I make that funny? What's going on there? I just, I, I, I think comics view the world a slightly different way. Um, we're sort of observing while we're participating. Wow. That's really, that's a really interesting per perspective to look at life. Yeah. And, and just, again, like being in the moment and to read in between the lines or see the bigger picture or look at the hidden details and be able to highlight those. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I remember going to a show one time, somebody said, Hey, let's go watch this show. And I was standing out in the audience and I thought, I don't stand in the audience. I'm like either on stage or in the back with all the other performers. Like it was an awkward thing for me to just be a participant. Like, Oh, I'm just, yay. Uh. That's, it's not, it wasn't familiar. Um, you know, so I'm used to observing the crowd or being in front of the crowd, but not part of the crowd. Right, right. Got it. You got to get involved somehow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, I want to kind of switch gears and, and talk about traveling. Um, I guess from your experiences, I know you've been to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, what is the most fulfilling thing that has come out of traveling? Um, Let's start there. And I have a lot of other questions as well. Yeah, so absolutely. So I think the greatest thing that's come out of traveling is um, I had a, sh a huge mi mind shift um, in my beliefs um, about money and abundance. And what really happened was over several trips is just a real appreciation of what I do have. And it's really taught me about gratitude and really learning to be humble because I think before I traveled, I was feeling a bit entitled and feeling like I shouldn't have to want for anything. And people should be like, if I'm having a temper tantrum, it should be addressed. And, and being able to go over and see how other people live and how simply they live uh, was a very humbling experience to, to see that it's not all about, I am my accomplishments and I am the amount of money in my bank, but, but actually what am I as a human being? Mm. And were there specific travel experiences um, that you've been on uh, that, that you can recall, um, you know, maybe like Africa and, and how going yeah. there changed your belief? Um, yeah, so what absolutely. So I, two different trips to Africa. My first trip to Africa, I was in Tanzania and the average income there is $100, $100 a year. Um, 
they're living in grass huts and sometimes, you know, in certain villages, you don't have a door and a hyena can drag you out of your hut or a lion. And it's like, oh my God. And, you know, I was busy making sure, you know, I had just gotten a Mercedes and life was good. And I, I was just looking around going, oh my God, you know, they don't have nice cars. They don't have nice houses. They make a hundred dollars a year. Why are they so happy? Mm. What's, how can they be happy? Because I had a belief that I had to have lots of money. I don't know what that amount was, but I had to have lots of it uh, to be happy. And I just saw how they were in community together, how that they had to learn to work together because they couldn't just go move to a better neighborhood. They had to work with what they had. And so that was a huge shift for me when I left there of just like, what's going on? Like, why is this the way it is? And, and so that was very humbling. And it really taught me about gratitude. Uh, I was in Zimbabwe a couple of years ago. I was working at a rhino sanctuary. And what happened was we had a day to go spend in the village with, a, you know, a local village. And we got to plow the field with the little wooden plow and we milked the cow and we wow. uh, carried water on our heads. And there were some younger people there, you know, like 18, 19. And one of the kids was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And and I said, hey, you know, here's the difference. They don't wake up in the morning saying, hey, I wonder if I want to water, uh, carry the water. Or do I want to milk the cow or do I want to plow the field? It's not a choice for them. They have to do it because that's how they survive. And I said, you know, we're lucky and fortunate enough to be in a position that we get to choose whether we want to do these things. And we don't have to feel bad about it, but know that we have privilege and use that privilege to help people that don't. And so for me, that was just a real opportunity to, to hopefully model to some younger folks that you don't have to feel bad that you have success um, and pay it forward for the people that don't have those opportunities. And prior to going on these two trips, um, how did you define or value happiness? And were you not happy prior to going to Africa per se? I think, yeah, I think for a good, I think for a period of time before Africa, I don't think I was happy. Um, I thought that I was my accomplishments. I thought I had to have, you know, degrees and certain amount of money in the bank. And I had to have at least a two bedroom house and like, and if I didn't have these things, I didn't measure up that I fell short. And so I was busy trying to meet all of these expectations that I put upon myself, that my family put upon me, that I felt culturally had been put upon me. And I was supposed to be very successful. And so there was a lot of pressure there because I didn't feel like I had the capacity to be very successful and I didn't know what that was, you know? And so for me, all of those trips and, and just the personal work that I've done was getting comfortable with being myself and saying, oh yeah, I actually have something to bring and people actually appreciate what I have to bring and, and that's okay. Like mm. it doesn't have to be hard. And so, yeah, I don't think I was fully happy uh, because I was busy trying to measure up to an invisible agenda that I couldn't even fully define. Right. So you were more so trying to, you were in the pursuit of success. Mm -hmm. um, but after the trip, you were grounded by gratitude. Yeah. Um, and through that, you felt 
happier. So it, happiness yeah. was, was really a byproduct of your mindset shift. Yeah. That occurred. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think so many people, especially, um, I, I can't speak for Canada, but I can speak for the U S um, you know, so many people are about presenting well, uh, looking like they're successful, uh, hitting all these marks so that everybody will be, uh, you know, gossiping good stuff about them. And, and they're really unhappy because they're, that's, that's not fulfilling. Mm. You know, what I think most of us want, I think what all of us want is we want to be in connection. We, we want to have an impact in a positive way. We want to make a difference and we want to know that we mattered, but it's not really okay to say, I want to know that I mattered and that I want to be in community. Like I got to be successful and I got to protect myself. And, and um, so I think there's a lot of pressure put upon us um, culturally and just peer pressure, social media, all of that that tells us we should be looking like we should live a certain way. And, and the truth is we should work towards being happy and grateful for what we have instead of what we don't have. Mm. And I guess that would be the, the most important step. And the first step that people should take is just that shift in the mindset of w- what kind of the invisible benchmark that you're basing yourself off of or comparing yeah. yourself to and feeling like you're always falling short or not good enough, right. um, but rather appreciate and be grateful for what you have. Um, and through that, really be able to do what you love to do and in that helping other people realize the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think um, a, lot of, a lot of us made decisions when we were four and five and six years old. And now we're adults and we're still living by those decisions we made when we were four five and six. And at a certain point we have to go back and say, okay, maybe that shouldn't have been a decision that a five-year-old made. Um, let's go back and look at that belief system because now we have more information. And, and as a five-year-old, we're creating stories that may or may not be true based on reality. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of people out there. My experience has been that we're still working from our past and until we can actually look at our past and reconcile everything, um, it's, it's harder to move forward if, if we, if we don't deal with our past. And my next question for you is, you know, from these two trips of going to Africa um, and being more grounded Mm -hmm. with gratitude and fulfillment, Mm -hmm. um, how did that shift your approach to life and in business? And is this when, um, you know, the money nerve came about um, through, through all of this? Yeah. So it was a combination. So I think in terms of the way that I relate with clients and stuff, I am less interested in making an extra buck. um, And I'm more interested in being in integrity with my client. I'm interested in it being a win, win, win. I want it to be a win for my staff. I want it to be a win for me and I want it to be a win for my clients. And so I would rather lose money in a, if, if I'm having a dispute with a client over something, I'd rather go, you know what, I'll eat that because I'm interested in the long-term relationship rather than let me just make a quick buck. And if you can't pay me what I want, get out. Or especially now this year, uh, some clients have been struggling 
And so they've been a client for 20 years. Am I going to now go, oh, well, you can't afford me. So get out of here. No, you've been with me for 20 years. I'm going to stay with you because I know you're going to turn things around. And so I'm interested in long-term relationships. I'm not interested in just a quick fix. So that's one way I think I brought it into my business is really appreciating my clients for who they are mm. and uh, really appreciating that they value my services and that they value um, what I bring to the table. And, and so I really want to nourish that and protect it versus um, yeah, you're not worth it. You, you can't, you know, I have several clients that compare, like don't really pay what my rate is because they're older or for whatever reason, I have a few clients where I'm like, yeah, you just get a, you sort of get a pass. Mm -hmm. And I do that because I actually just, I care about the person and I want to help them. And I know that they can't afford my services. Um, so I'm trying to hopefully level the playing field a little bit, uh, by helping people, that maybe couldn't get that help otherwise. That's beautiful. And from, I guess, did from really taking that gratitude and fulfillment and bring it into your practice, mm -hmm. um, what kind of sparked your, or ignite that, that flame in you to, to write the book? Um, and then yeah. how did that come about? So interestingly enough, since a lot of my friends are comics, uh, a lot of comics uh, are broke. <laughs> a lot of my friends are actors and directors and, and money doesn't come in regularly for everybody. Not everybody gets a TV series. And so I think what happened was I, so a lot of my friends, you know, didn't have money. I was making money, but I was hanging out with all these creative folks and there was a lot of shame around, well, I'm an artist, so I'll have to starve forever. And I was at the comedy store uh, one day in the main room and a friend of mine who's a comic came through and she was crying because she just visited her family who were all doctors. She was a good Jewish girl and all of her siblings and parents and everybody had done the right thing. And they were, sh she was feeling shamed because she was a comic. And she's like, I'm the only one in the world that doesn't know how to handle their finances. And I'm the only one in debt. And I'm, and I was like, you are not the only one in debt and you are not the only one. I said, most of the people in a room are just pretending like they got their stuff together. And she's like, what? And I'm like, you're not alone in this. And she was like, I, she was shocked. Mm. She literally felt like she was the only one. And so what I got from that was, oh my God, I keep running into people that think they're the only person that doesn't know how to handle their finances, or they're the only person with lots of financial shame, or they're the only person that didn't get the download. And I decided, you know what? I wanna write a book and I wanna get these conversations started about money so we can start like making it an issue that we can talk about. People would rather talk about, you know, you're just not supposed to talk about sex and politics, but people would rather talk about sex and politics than about their money. And <laughs> so like, I wanted to make it a talkable conversation instead of, oh my God, we have to go run and hide. Bob's bringing up money again. Hmm. And when you went through a process of structuring and writing the book, um, did you more so tackle the idea that we have to manage our money correctly? Or was that more so the 
therapeutic side and really understanding the emotions behind the decisions that we make financially and in our life? And, and how did you put this beautiful work together? So what happened was as I was listening to my friends talk about money and as I was a CPA, uh, I was aware that people that in my office before I had my own practice, when I was working for another firm, uh, I realized people that were below me technically in terms of salary and stuff were making much better financial decisions than me. Oh, this one had a house. This one is doing this. This one paid cash. And I realized I had my own self-sabotaging beliefs and I had made some decisions when I was younger because when my parents got divorced, my mom turned to me and said, you need to be really successful so your four siblings and I can have the life we deserve. And I thought, well, why do I have to pay for all that? So I immediately said, I'm going to make sure I'm broke so that I never have to pay for all my other siblings and my mom. And I wasn't aware of it. But mm-hmm. that was it. That was like, nope, make sure you're broke. Make sure you're broke. So when they ask for money, you can go, I don't have any money because I wasn't a good liar. So that's, you know, I was looking at my own journey and realizing that it wasn't about my ability, but it was about my belief systems. And so I was doing a personal journey and really starting to look at all the things and my fears and my beliefs and my blocks and my worthiness in relation to also seeing that happening with my comic friends and hearing my clients tell me stories and just sharing for whatever reasons, a lot of people felt safe to tell me stuff. So they were telling me very personal stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, we're all sitting around trying to pretend like we got it together. (laughs) And most of us have a lot of shame or we're hurting or we're embarrassed and we don't have anywhere to go to say, oh my God, I need a little bit of support. And so for me, the book was the accumulation of, of all of what was going on for me and what was going on for my friends and then what was going on with my clients. And, and so for me, it really was that therapeutic piece um, of really looking at our history and looking what our parents told us out loud or subconsciously um, and, and, and really trying to bring that all together so that people could then make a choice to do it different. Mm. And when you went through your own personal, I guess, journey of looking inwards, um, and you realize that that statement that your mom made um, about you having to take care of them and you being broke, um, when you realized that you had that feedback loop, yeah. um, was that the, I guess, the domino effect of you then picking up your stuff and reverse engineering that feedback loop and getting to a better spot? Um, is, is that the, the, the key? Yeah. So what happened for me was once I was aware of that, then I was able to go back. And the next time my mom or anybody said something about, Oh, maybe you could pay for that. I was able to say, yeah, I, maybe I could, but I'm not going to. Um, and I don't feel the need to financially take care of everybody just so I can feel good about myself. It's like, if you want to have these things, I really support you having them. And I hope you can go out and earn the money to do this, do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to be, uh, the money purse, and I'm not going to do it out of guilt or shame. I'm going to, if I decide to do it, it's because I decide I want to give it, but not because I'm being guilted into it. And so what it allowed me to do is set up really strong boundaries and be able to say, yeah, I love that part. Yeah. Bring that in mom. And that part you can keep, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. 
Yeah. So learning to go, yeah, you keep that away and you can give me this and, and not having to be, you have to completely get away or, you know, it's all or nothing. So it really, I really started to get me really clear about what was what I wanted. And, and so then I was able to just really set boundaries that kept me in integrity with what I wanted to accomplish and not feel the need to take myself out to make everybody else feel good. And from your experience um, dealing with so many clients and, um, you know, hosting workshops um, or even talking to, to your comedic friends, uh, what is the misconception um, or, I guess, illusion um, that people have around money and why is it so like negative and almost like a, like, like, a, like a secretive thing that we don't like, why is it that way? Like, why are people scared of money? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it starts young. I think for one, a lot of parents use money as manipulation. If you, if you behave well, I'll give you some money. You know, my grandparents were like, Hey, if you love us, we'll give you lots of money. I'm like, Hey, I love you. Give me my money. <laughs> right. So there's an emotional exchange there. Uh, you know, if you get good grades, I'll give you a dollar, like whatever there's, we start off with manipulation and, mm. you know, people sometimes marry not for love, but for money. And so we've sort of intertwined and, and, you know, mixed up uh, money and love and different emotions. And so I think it gets a little messy um, when we start to get older, a lot of that stuff as a child comes back. You know, you're terrible in math. You'll never succeed. You're, you're, you're a dreamer or you're a loser mm. and uh, you'll never, you'll never be like your grandfather. And oh, okay. You know, oh, 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 you know, and as a kid, we're, we're taking all this in mm -hmm. and we're like, no, but I want to prove you. I want you to love me, mommy and daddy. And, and so like, it's, it's just such a messed up relationship, uh, from my perspective and 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 so many people are trying to present like i know my parents um you know they wanted to appear like hey we're not members of the country club but let's pretend like we are and let's like we, let's pretend we're a little bit higher class status than maybe the reality of the situation and there's you know i've had people that were from very wealthy families who were completely broke but had to live in their house and pretend and not let any of their friends know that they had no money um they still had the house because it was paid for and they were like, Oh yeah, we our chauffeur. He's just on vacation. And like, and there's all this posturing, posturing and presenting instead of just being like, yeah, I don't have any money today. <laughs> I can't go out to lunch. <laughs> um, we're too embarrassed. And so we, Oh no, 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 I'll, I'll charge it. Mm. And, and how do you, as you know, a therapist, you know, uh, a financial, uh, like an accountant, mm -hmm. almost like, like a, their financial therapy therapist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you bring to light, um, all of these other life events that have occurred that might've affected their financial decision? How do you make that difficult conversation so typically people will say to me, Hey, Bob, I know you deal with money and emotions and you wrote a book and Hey, can I ask you something? Um, or I've noticed your life seems to be going pretty good. Can you give me, you know, what's your secret, whatever. So they're already coming to me with some curiosity, 
right? It, it's, I'm not looking for people to go, Hey, you know what? Here's what's going on in your life. You should take a look at now. I need, I want people that are curious that are willing to maybe do a little bit of work, a little self excavation. And once I know that there's somebody saying, Hey Bob, what's going on here? I want to understand. Great. Hey, what, what was your relationship with your parents? Like around money? What do you remember as a kid? What did they teach you about gender? Like, do uh, girls have it better? Do boys have it better? Uh, women can't do things because they can only survive if they're married. Like whatever those, you know, stereotypes or, or, or belief systems. And so I get people, what, what do you remember? Um, and that'll start to bring stuff. Oh my God, I remember, you know, my dad didn't let me do this because I was a girl or my brother got to do this because he was a boy or my mom said I could do any, like, and they start, things start to come up. And, and I'll say, great, let's, let's sort of explore that. I, I, I always ask people, are you willing to be uncomfortable? And are you willing to do the work? And I've had people say, no, I'm not. I'm like, okay, we're done. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help you. <laughs> you know? Uh, because if you can't even get that far, we're not going anywhere. But a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm willing to do it. Great. Let's go on this journey together. I'll be right here and let's dig deep. And man, we, it goes deep. I mean, I, I, I've you know, people cry, they get angry. Um, there's a lot of grief and sadness and regret. Um, and then once we can go through that, there's so much opportunity once you let go of that and say, you know what, I get a fresh start. There's always an opportunity to have a different ending in our lives rather than the story that we've put ourselves on. There's always an opportunity to go, yep, I want a different outcome. But we have to be proactive in that journey. Wow. And I guess around the, the topic of money, um, I guess what is the number one mistake that you see most people make? And is there really a way to prevent it from happening in the first place? So I, I see two things that people don't do. One is I don't, people don't save. Uh, oh, I can't save. I'm going to save later. I'm going to save when I get a bonus. I'm going to save when I get that extra paycheck. I'm going to and it's always something in the future. And, and reality is you could just start saving five bucks. Um, or, you know, what I tell people is, hey, listen, on Friday, before you go out, Friday, Friday afternoon, open your <laughs> wallet and take out all the $5 bills and put them in a jar. Right? Um, or, you know, if you're going to go out for the weekend, um, figure out what your budget is. And so that's the other part is people um, spend beyond their means. You know, I have so many clients and family that will round up their income and round down their expenses. And then they don't understand why they come up short. I always tell people round down your income, round up your expenses, and you're always going to have a little bit of a cushion. And I think for a lot of people, they get in the moment, they feel pressure. My friends are all having two drinks. I want to have two drinks. Mm. Um, and instead of saying, you know what? I'm at my limit. No, 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 no. I don't want to. And so learning to actually be comfortable with, yeah, I can't spend money today. Um, and actually learning to say no or to budget um, and actually be comfortable with that. So saving money and then actually being real about your, your spending. Mm. Wow. That's such simple things that so you, simple. you, but yeah, people tend to overlook because they're simple. So the they're simple the detail. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just a budget. It's just a budget. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you stop and actually take a breath, mm -hmm. um, it can be 
life, it, it is life changing if you can just stop and reevaluate and make some slight adjustments. They don't have to be even huge adjustments. And from your point of view, you know, we've talked about the unhealthy relationship with money. Like, mm-hmm. what does a healthy relationship with money look like just to give? our listeners kind of maybe paint a picture in their head with how um, or what potential um, you could have and, and, and have a good, good time with money instead of, you know, being scared about it. And yeah, absolutely. I, for me, a healthy relationship with money is being happy with what I have instead of being unhappy with what I don't have. It's looking at my life and, and realizing all the amazing, incredible life experiences that I have looking at the relationships, the deep relationships, the sustainable relationships of people that I value and being able to look at all that and say, wow, like life is really pretty good. I've had some really amazing things happen. I've had some amazing trips. I've had some amazing experiences. I've had amazing opportunities. It's not about the million dollars in the bank account because that, that it's great, but it's not, it, 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 it doesn't fuel my life. Um, for me, it's about connection. And so a healthy relationship, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'd be much happier if I had another million dollars. Well, maybe you would, but how about learn to be happy now? Like, mm-hmm. how about choose to be happy with what you got? And, and you might find that life's actually a whole lot more fulfilling when you can learn to be happy with, hey, my dog loves me um, or, or the little things in life. And that's what I've learned in traveling to these developing countries where I see people without a lot they're incredibly, incredibly happy because they're not on a search for all the material things. They're just living life and being in connection and being in relationship. And like, that's an amazing place to be. And I hope that one thing that comes out of this whole COVID experience is that people are learning to actually get back in relationship with their families and with their kids. I know people are like, oh my God, I haven't ever seen my kids before, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, now you're at home all day. So. <laughs> I know that's, oh, that's who you are. And uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I think it doesn't take a lot of money to have a, an incredibly joyful life. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, I guess to wrap things up here, Bob, uh, we had such uh, an amazing conversation. Um, Do you have any advice for the younger self? So if you you could, knowing what you know now, if you could go back to when you were in your early 20s or mid 20s, because that's kind of, you know, most of our audience are within that age group. Um, what, What would you tell yourself? I would say take risks. I would say, don't worry about what everybody else is saying. Like if it fuels your passion, go for it. I think the biggest, and I've had friends of mine tell me this. I have a friend that's got a terminal illness said, I'm looking back at life going, man, I wished I had taken risks. Like don't hold back. And I think that's, I think that's so, I know it's easier to say that than to do it. Uh, But for me, the thing that actually got me to where I am today, I feel is that I looked at what I feared and I went towards it. So, oh, I'm scared of that. I'm going over there. Oh, it didn't kill me. Great. What am I afraid of next? Oh, I'm going over there. And, and so I just started facing my fears. And I think the more we can get comfortable with facing our fears and find out that we'll actually live through it, 
uh, the more we can actually just come to a place of like, yeah, life is good. I'm happy to be here. Wow. Just that's such a unique approach. Just whatever scares you, um, just charge on and fight through and you realize, Hey, it's, it's not that bad. So I guess for a lot of us, it's just a mental roadblock. Yeah. But that really doesn't exist. It's just, it's in our minds. And I can tell you until I started doing the work, I was a very terrified person. Every in encounter with a person was life or death. Every time I had to go out in public was life or death. And, and until I started facing my fears um, and getting comfortable and being like, oh, this is me. Uh, I was living in my own prison. And, you know, I, I laugh. I mean, friends of me that know me way back when laugh because they're like, I, you're such a different person. Um, I couldn't have gotten up. I wouldn't be talking on this show. I wouldn't be up doing stand-up. I wouldn't be out in the world engaged if I had stayed as my old self because my old self was a very scared person who was just trying to get everything right and present in a right way. And it was not about being authentic and it wasn't about being really who I was. And so once I started facing my fears and just started going, you know what, it's either going to kill me or it's not. And if it doesn't, I'm going to keep going. And I'm so glad that I, that I decided to take that path. And it's, it's available to anybody that's willing to do the work. Right. Right. And take the, the feedback. That's, take the that's feedback. One thing. So was it, was fear the, the driving force to you getting into comedy? I think, you know, for me, comedy was a way that I could, so I was afraid to speak my truth. Yeah. And comedy was a way for me to express my anger, which I couldn't express because I could say it and then I'd go, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean it even though I did. And so for me, comedy was a great way. I think for a lot of comics, comedy is a great way to do therapy for free. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We get to work through stuff. So um, yeah, for me, it was being able to have a voice. Got it. And you you mentioned the importance of following your passion, you know, I guess with all your life experiences, um, especially nowadays, we just have such an overabundance and overwhelmingness of information out there that- Um, it leads to procrastination and people not knowing what direction to take or having like a billion passions or yeah. interests. Like, so how, how does one go about like discovering what they're truly passionate about? And if they're procrastinating on finding their passion, like what, what can we do to help them with that? So I think the first thing is what, what brings a smile to my face? Like what? Oh yeah. Oh, if like somebody's talking about a particular topic and I want to get in on it. Okay. That's an indication that that's somewhere I'm interested. And I think, I think there is so much information. It's so overwhelming. Like for me, like pick something and do it. And then if it doesn't work out, go, okay. I, all right. It didn't work out. I thought I would love, you know, I had a friend that wanted to do real estate. So I got him all the books and said, great, go do. And then they, they never read the books. And they said, oh, now I feel like a failure. You spent 300 bucks on the books. I said, well, now, you know, you don't want to do real estate. Okay, that's great. (laughs) Check it off the list. Right. The thing is, I think we don't move forward because we get immobilized by, well, I should go to A, to B, to C. And I think it's just important to pick one thing, set a goal, try it out and go, okay, I liked it. I didn't like it. And then let me move to the next thing. And, Mm. you know, I know a lot of people say, I've had people say to me, well, how did you get to go to Africa and work on a rhino sanctuary? 
well, because it's something I wanted to do. I love elephants and rhinos. And so I looked it up and said, where can I go and be of service and pretend it's a vacation and work? And so like, I just did it. And that's really, it's about just going, okay, I'm going to do this. If I want to work with children, great, go read at a library and read with, work with kids or volunteer at a summer camp or be a big brother or a big sister. Uh, like, whatever those things are, if, if you want to be a teacher, if you, whatever you, find the things that feed your soul, to find the things that like excite you and, and move towards those. Uh, because there's plenty of people out there doing things they hate. And I love being around people that love doing what they're doing, even if it's not what I want to do, because mm -hmm. I can feel their energy and their excitement for life. And I want to be around that because that kind of energy is infectious. Wow. Beautiful. And Bob, last but not least, how can people get in touch with you or learn more about the money nerve and, um, you know, get more information from, from you and, and, and all the amazing stuff that you do. Absolutely. Well, people can find me at themoneynerve.com and that's nerve, not nerd. I might be a money nerd, but it's the money nerve, like a pinch, pinch nerve. <laughs> uh, they can reach me through Bob at themoneynerve.com. Uh, I do answer emails. We reach out. We're a resource. Um, we love to work with people. If people want to explore that, um, we've got the book. I've got an online 12 week online course called mastering the emotions of money. I do one-on-one -on -one sessions. I lead workshops, uh, in Canada and, uh, the US and wherever people uh, invite me to come. And I, we do these money workshops and go through a lot of the emotional stuff. Uh, but themoneynerve.com, uh, please feel free to reach out. We really love helping people uh, find their passion and finding their healthy relationship with money. Beautiful. Thank you again, Bob, for, for your time today. And Absolutely. Uh, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the On The Rise podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music composition and vocals is done by Graham Best. Your host, of course, is the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Have a wonderful day, and we will, of course, see you next time on our way to the top. Cheers. Cheers.